0: Hello and welcome to the Turned On Podcast. I'm Angelique Nori, and my husband David and I have made it our mission to break the darkness by flipping the switch on the four most important areas of your life, in health, relationships, business, and in faith. And sometimes the light in the world and in your life can go dim, either from the intrusion of technology or simply because society is so driven by instant gratification. It's our mission to help people see that we're hardwired for connection and that the best things in life come when we turn on the light to see with new eyes the opportunity that exists just a flip away. So if you're ready to stir your spirit, open your eyes, and profit in all areas of your life, then let's get turned on. Here we go.
1: Hey, and welcome back to the Turned On Podcast. This is David Norrie, and you know I'm glad that I have the opportunity to introduce this guest on this week's episode for a couple of reasons. First of all, he's an amazing human being, and he's fun, but most importantly, he is really, really easy and enjoyable to listen to. He's got great stories. He's got an awesome, engaging personality, and on top of all that, he's got an amazing story. Rob Murgatroyd is one of our best friends, and he has a little thing going on called Work Hard, Play Hard. It's actually not a little thing, it's a huge thing. It's a movement. It's for people who spend their whole lives working and they're not enjoying it and soaking up the moment. So here's a little backstory Rob is responsible for putting together Angelique and my second wedding. In other words, we renewed our vows in Greece. A couple of years ago, and without this man, it wouldn't have been possible. And that just begins to tell the story about Rob. He is a doer. He's a connector. He is a a guy that brings enjoyment to all areas of life. And he's going to tell you an amazing story about how he decided later on in life what was most important to him, and he made a switch. He made a switch in his life and said, I'm going to do what I love to do. And that is where work hard, play hard came about. And I, guys, I know you are going to love this man because he is engaging, he's fun, and his story is going to light up areas of your life I want you to listen to Turned On with Rob Murgatroyd. Here we go.
0: All right, all right, all right, thank you. And welcome back to Turned On with myself, Angelique, and as always to my left is my husband, David Norrie. But today we are joined by yet a very special guest. And not only is he a special guest, he is a very special and dear friend of ours, Mr. Rob Murgatroyd. Rob, start off by telling us a point in your life when you flip the switch and the light turned on for you.
2: As a kid, I was abused a lot by my dad, and um, there was a moment, um, probably around 14 years old, where um, I took back my power, and I said, not again, not another minute, and I remember knocking him over on the chair. He was drunk. Um, He barely was able to stand up anyway. And... It wasn't a massive physical thing for either of us, but it was one of those lines where you say, this will never happen again.
0: And at that point, uh, when he tipped over and you had that moment and that moment of clarity and you could see, what did you realize uh, or become awakened to that was going to be different for you?
2: Well... I think that I was um, terrified. I was, it was a mix of um, sheer terror um, and extremely proud that I was able to do it. And I knew that, um, you know, I'm trying to take my mind back there because it's been, it's been quite a few years since I've been 14, but um, (laughs) I'm 52 now, but, I, what I remember was the mix of um, feeling like a gladiator um, and feeling terrified all at the same time. That, that's what comes to mind there.
1: And from what I know, you, you had a reconciliation with your father or was there ever, was there ever a separation?
2: Well, after that moment, he didn't talk to me probably for the better part of one to two years um, because I'm sure that he was just embarrassed um, and didn't know how to handle it. Um, but there hit a point later on in my life where I realized that the, that the, that the anger was just eating me up inside and I needed, I needed to be free of it. And, um, a lot of it had to do with my wife, Kim, where she said, look, you know, your parents getting up there in years and, um, who's to say how long your parents are going to have. Are you willing to go if your dad passes or when your dad passes, or do you feel like you've said everything you need to say? And are you going to be okay with not being able to ever say it again when he's gone? And I wasn't. And so I was like, how am I going to do this? You know, sometimes with these relationships, when they go awry like this and, you know, you move away, I'm in Atlanta and and he's in New York, you know, how do you like, where do you begin? Like, how do you start that? And, um, what I decided to do was, what was something I could do, which was pick up the phone and try and think about how I can begin to repair the relationship. And I committed that every Sunday, no matter where I was in the world, that I would pick up the phone at a specific time and I would call him. And I had to, I mean, I had to do like a lot of work on myself, like go like, I'm not going to talk about politics. I'm not going to talk about sports. I'm not going to talk about religion. I'm not going to like all these things. And then I had to like find things that I knew he'd be interested in. And I would start the conversation. I'd pick up the phone and I'd say, Hey dad, I saw this thing. Um, I was thinking of you on space exploration. I know you like that. And I would just let him talk. And we started to have some common grounds. And then um, after, you know, it was like, I, I literally put a timer on because I was like, I don't think I could take more than 10 or 15 minutes. Cause I was so angry. And after about uh, 10, 15 minutes, I'd let it go. But then the next week was a little easier. And the next week was a little easier. And, By the end of that year, I was able to um, really connect and talk about things that were um, not so easy. And we were able to have a healing. And we were able to talk about mistakes that we both made. Um, And he got cancer and died uh, the following year. And um, I was able to be with him all the way up to the end and create a real forgiveness. So that that's the most pivotal moment that comes to mind for me.
1: So as I'm listening to this, Rob, and this is the first time I'm hearing that part of your story. Uh, And we always want to hear people's stories and we connect it to parts of our life. I think, you know, the, the human thread, whether or not your dad was abusive or whether or not your dad uh, drank, whatever it will be, I think, especially between father and son, we always want to draw the parallel. And I think, uh, especially with an older generation, uh, which our fathers come from, my father included, uh, there's, there's a certain amount of pride. There's a certain amount of not really knowing how to deal with your feelings and certainly not being able to, uh, relate those feelings to your son in, in word form. So when I'm listening to you, I really appreciate the fact that you, even though you could have held a bigger grudge, even though you could have put up the wall, you decided as the, as a man it, coming into your own right to take the wall down and you decided to say hey i 'm going to extend my dad this olive branch i 'm going to find out what he wants to talk about and and then you received really the bigger gift from that, and that 's reconciling and, and knowing that when he passed um, there was no there was no uh, Yeah, no scars. Well, I mean, there might have still been a scar. I don't know. You tell me. But certainly, you you did redeem that relationship. Do you think there's something that father and sons listening this could learn from that?
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think I think same-sex parents um, have their share of challenges. I think moms and daughters and fathers and sons, for whatever the reason is. I'm definitely not qualified to answer that one. But that's been my experience anyway. Um, And because of that, there's usually Challenges and um, the challenge that I had with him was, you know, drinking and physical abuse, and um, that created a lot of um, tension. It created a lot of pain. And to answer the question, here's what I here's what I would say. A lot of times, you know, we've heard they're doing the best they can, and being able to put. In perspective, some of this came. Some of this came for me later on in life, where I became a parent myself, and I started to understand all of the constraints that parents are under. What is it like to raise a kid? What is it like to, um, you know, have challenges um, with money? What is it like to? have your own existential challenges about life and the meaning of life and all the different things. What is it like to be married and and in a relationship and the challenges that are with that? Um, And when you, in his case, when you mixed alcohol into that, um, which is how he just sort of numbed out and medicated himself from all of the the noise that was in his life, um, he became a different person. And so what I would encourage anybody listening who's in a, a similar situation would be to recognize that your parents are just people. Like, you know, when I think about, I saw a picture recently of my dad when he was like 32 years old, I'm 52 and he still looks like an older guy to me. And so it's, it's like this, we don't even realize that our parents are just, they're just people, Mm, you know? And so I would urge anybody who's in a strained relationship to put themselves truly in their parent's shoes and realize what they are up against and the challenges that they're, uh, that they're dealing with.
1: You know what, when you said that, it's so funny because we do, we think that, well, you're a parent, you know, And, and like as soon as we had kids, as if, as if we go into this different mode and we're not the same person anymore and we, and we don't have anything else on our minds except parenting. And we know as we get older, you know, my mom and dad, they just celebrated their 80th birthday and their 60th wedding anniversary in the same year and my mom's like, I, I don't feel 80. Um, I I still feel like time's gone by in a flash. And, you know, we're grandparents, we're great grandparents, but it feels like I just got married to your father because that has a way of happening. And and certainly, Angelique, you and I can relate to it. Kids put a completely different perspective on life. But then again, we still have to have our romantic relationship together. We still have our hopes and dreams, we still have our our silly moments, our Little things like, Rob, you know, like the music that we listen to and stuff, but yet our kids sometimes don't see that. So we're in this unique perspective here where sometimes we're in the middle. We have our children and we have our parents. So we see this generational shift on how life is so amazing and how you learn things. And I'm looking at Angelique and I know, I know that she, as a mother, is still every bit as young and vibrant as when I first met her but I see her in these moments when she is a mom and I kind of have to pinch myself and I laugh because I'm like oh my gosh that's so mom of you that's something like my mom would do or your mom would do but I still see her as this young beautiful single woman that I married sometimes
2: yeah and it's a it's a mix of lot you know we all have different roles right she's your she's your wife she's the mother of your children she's your podcast partner I mean we all have these different roles in uh in life so it's uh it's beautiful, actually, how you guys are able to navigate all those different roles and be able to step into all of them. And I I have a lot of that with my, with my wife as well.
1: Did you, one quick question, did you ever learn anything about your dad's relationship with his father? Was this something that was generational? Because I know what you said is, we really didn't know how to deal with feelings back then. There's a lot of pressure, like you said, economically, there's, there's things that happen. And, and, you know, Let's face it, back in the day, there were probably a lot of what we would call maybe closet alcoholics, you know, or, or people that really relied on that because you weren't allowed to express any type of weakness or sensitivity as a man. So most often men would just stay in their house and have a few drinks. And that was the way they did it. And they just went on. But today we're, we're much more expressive. We have a much better grasp on our feelings. Um, but was there any kind of generational thing? Do you know anything about your grandfather?
2: I do. Um, and there was, there was a lot of generational issues there as well. It's a great question. <clears throat> Nobody's ever asked me that one on this one, but yeah, that was, um, that was, uh, there was an issue there. Um, he, um, my dad sort of escaped living in his home and lied, uh, to get, uh, himself into the army at 15, uh, because the environment was so bad, but what he actually wound up doing which many people do is is he duplicated his exact environment of growing up with drinking and abuse, uh, into his, into his, into his family. So I had to, I had to be the one to break the chain, which is why, um, I never had a drop of alcohol until I was 30. Um, because I just did not want to, uh, to do that. And so I'm hypersensitive right now. You know, my, if, if, um, if my wife raises the voice, her voice at one of the kids, um, I can go right back to that moment. Um, you know, I I have very strong feelings of spanking. I mean, I have a lot of emotional scarring that came from that time. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. And, and you're, it's amazing. So we are what we call equally yoked with a partner who Kim, God bless her for being able to kind of pastor you through that moment um, as a wife and say, hey. Rob, I'm going to recognize this and I think you need to reconcile this relationship with your dad. I mean, because we look at our spouse as so many things, but it's times like that when you realize what a value of a marriage is for someone not only to be an income earner in your house, for someone not only to help you nurture your kids and, and be intimate with you and cook and have fun, but the big moments, the ones that when you're on the altar getting married, you won't be able to forecast, right? So if anyone's getting married right now or you've, you're a newlywed, you're not gonna maybe be able to forecast a moment like you and Kim had. But that's what it means to be um, a partner with somebody in marriage. I, I love that.
2: Yeah, okay. and, and having the, uh, sorry Ange, but having the ability to listen to that partner too because the, you know, you have to have the intimacy I I respect, uh, Kim more than I respect anybody on this planet. And because of that, I do whatever she tells me to do. Um, because I trust that she always has my best interest at heart. And so we have that level of intimacy. Sorry, Ange, go ahead.
0: Oh, no. Um, I'm, I'm glad that you shared that. Well, you know, speaking of generational, uh, things and talks about generational curses, if you will, or generational ties, strongholds, um, You know, I look back at my own family and my father's side, my mother's side, there there always seems to be this repetitive, you know, ugly tie. And I believe that we have the opportunity to break those things off. And just like just like in our you know, world of self-development and podcasts and entrepreneurship, they say that you are the sum of the five people that you surround yourself with. Well, before that really existed and before we started talking about choosing those peers, we were surrounded by our family. And so old generational ties, strongholds become part of our fabric. And what's really interesting is, you know, like you said, David uh, had, had asked a question that no one else had asked and you say, yeah, there was something repetitive there. There was something in my grandfather to my father and my father to me, but there was that point in time when you had that moment with your father that you broke it off. And you continued to break it off through what you choose every day through, um, through the actions that you took with your dad and having those, you know, surface level conversations first until it became easier to then have the deeper conversation later, like the compound effect started to, to take place in the way that you could open the floodgate a little bit more. And that's what I just think is so beautiful in, in any kind of partnership. We call it home team. You know, whether it's the partnership with your spouse and your children, as it was with your dad and you, or the people in your community that you're immediate core for your circle. Um, that is all generational stuff, because no matter where those partnerships exist, it it's going to perpetuate. And I just, I, first of all, I want to commend you for breaking it off, not just breaking it off, but then actually taking very intentional steps to heal it. And and then that goes to the, the power of partnership that is created through your marriage, where Kim was able to hold you accountable to that and, and raise the standard so that it didn't get repeated in your own home.
2: Thank you for that. And let me say this too, like, just to be completely transparent with you for, for the people that are listening to this and maybe find themselves in this situation, there were moments where she had to pull a frying pan out and hit me over the head and say, you need to fix this. And so it wasn't, you know, it wasn't necessarily, you know, my my wife is relentless about things when she's relentless about things that are for my best interest. And sometimes I don't listen the first go-arounds. And it takes just a minute for her to elevate the intensity, shall we say, of the conversation and say like, if you don't do this, here's what you can expect is gonna happen. And I think that when somebody really has your back, that they can help push you uh, gently, and sometimes not so gently, into something that'll serve you in the long run.
0: Oh yeah, she agitated it. Yeah. And (laughs) and you know what, not everybody gets
1: an opportunity, but I think there, for a lot of people, um, if you haven't had it yet, I know Angelique's had it, I know I've had it, there will come typically a point in your life and it's kind of an aha point where kind of time stands still, and it's almost like a movie, and you realize it's happening. Where you either have a com- tough conversation with your parents, or uh, uh, are kind of a moment where you do the parenting, yeah. and it's a very odd moment because you know your whole life you've been kind of subservient to this authority, and then you realize, hey, I'm an adult now. And I'm going to say something or do something, whether it's in love or whether it's in correction, to a parent, and it's going to feel weird. And you're not going to know if you can do it. And you're going to have to have courage. And you're going to have to have conviction and humility at the same time. There's going to be a lot of things that you're going to have to have. Some, some, A lot of discernment. Yeah. (laughs) But if if you haven't had it, it's probably coming. And the one thing I love about this, Rob, is that do it before it's too late. You know, do it before. There's nothing worse than living with regret. And you can visit a parent's grave all you want and say, I'm sorry, and talk to them. But there's nothing like the actual reconciliation while they're alive. So if it's pride, that is one of the seven deadly sins. Pride will, and, and it might not be a relative. It, I mean, it might not be a parent. It might be a relative, a brother, a sister. It could be an ex-wife, an ex-husband, or it could be someone it, just a friend don't let pride deprive you of that feeling of putting something to rest at least in your heart because if not it'll eat away at you
2: yeah i mean i think you know pride is pride is definitely in there there's no doubt about it but really what it what it can be or what it was for me was more like he wasn't worthy of my forgiveness mm. how can somebody wow how can somebody abuse a child at that level um not apologize for it and how am i supposed to ever forgive that was the mantra that was my thinking that was my my mo and i would hardwire that story in my head for years and then at some point i started woke up and said this is not serving me like this is not like he hasn't abused me since I was 14. I get it. It was horrible prior to 14, but I'm I'm an adult now. I'm a father now. I've got to I've got to forgive and I've got to move on because all, all it's going to do is affect me physically, affect me as a parent, and I'm going to you're right live with regret when he's gone. So taking the steps to heal that was really me being willing to say for me, it was being willing to not justify the behavior, but being able to say, I forgive it. Yes, it happens. It was wrong. And there was a ton of things that he did that was good. Okay. And there was a ton of great time. So I just chose to focus on the other, the other stuff.
1: So I'm gonna ask you a two part question. And yes. this, this might take a little bit of thinking and, and, I don't expect any particular answer. Two parts. A, do you still have a relationship with your father? And B, how has, how did that relationship with your dad change who you are as a parent for better or
2: worse? Okay, do I still have a relationship? Just wanna make sure we're in the same uh, lane here. But you know my dad's dead, right? Yeah, I know that, okay, I know good. that. Right, but- good, so I just wanna make sure I'm answering the question in the way that we should be answering. <laughs> I thought I thought you knew that and I thought that was the question. Okay, yeah. so here's the answer to that question. Yes, I still have a relationship, but we're gonna put, just for the, for the sake of it, we're gonna put it in air quotes, right? Um, yes, I still have a relationship with him. And in fact, it's really interesting, um, but he will come to me in dreams. And they're so vivid. I mean, right down to the velour Pierre Cardin running suit. Vivid. (laughs) Like I I can touch it. I can feel it. I can see the gold chain. I could see the suit. I could see his hair wet coming out of the shower. And he's like 31, 32 years old. And it's all the time. And the first time it happened, I get chills you know, when, when I think about this, but the first time it happened um, was he came, I was sitting there having a conversation with somebody in the dream, I don't remember who I was with, and he came and he just sat down. And I looked over and I was like, Dad, what are you doing here? He goes, what do you mean, by, what am I doing here? I said, you're dead. He goes, I'm not dead. And it was this out of body, crazy thing and I went, then I went away. And I will get reoccurring dreams like that. So that's, that's one portion of that answer. The other portion of that answer is I find myself um, talking to him and looking for guidance from him and asking for help on different challenges, which is very strange because I never did that when he was alive. But there's an energy that I feel when I'm meditating or praying that feels different when he was alive. It's like all of the, all of the crazy when he was alive is just gone. Mm -hmm. Like there's a channel and I feel like I can connect there. Um, And then what was the, what was the other part of that? I want to
1: let my Angelique is Angelique is I I could, I know my wife so well. I know when somebody says something that touches her heart, you're feeling the
2: energy, huh?
1: I I know she wants to say (laughs) something before we go on to that next part, because this is very important to her.
0: Uh, well, I mean, he's saying that because I'm in tears and oftentimes that takes me to a place of uh, total speechlessness, but, um, I just relate on so many levels after losing both of my parents and, uh, there is a reconciliation there. Um, and sometimes, and I believe this to be true. and I know you and I've had some private conversations in the past, Rob, but, um, sometimes it takes our earthly father to connect to our heavenly father yeah and like you're saying he said to you i'm not dead you know and i don't just like i believe in in an eternal life you know i believe that he's providing that message to you that that there is eternal life and um i also think that he shows you in his Pierre Cardin velour jumpsuit. And it's
2: amazing how it comes. It comes through in the Pierre Cardin <laughs> suit, right? <laughs> that, that,
0: piece that look. You know, all the old stuff is broken off. All of it is is gone. It doesn't exist here. There, there is a paradise. There, there is a peace. And um, he's representation of that kingdom. He's representation to you in, in such a way to where, like you said, you're looking for guidance in a way that you didn't seek from him when he was here. And I just, I feel like he's leading you to a much higher father. And I just, I, that's why I'm in tears because um, whether the listeners can connect with that or even you, Rob, that's immediately where my spiritual eyes go. And um, so I'm just moved I'm moved on that level because I think it's the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. Well,
2: thank you for that. I mean, you know, as with everything, um, you just have such a, a way of putting things into words. And I, and I, and I, have, uh, I have always taken, taken to heart very seriously everything that you've um, pointed out for me. So this, this does not go unnoticed.
1: Mm-hmm. And I know that, Angelique, you, you know, when, when you lose a parent, you, you, you look for them in dreams. And I know there's been times where Angelique has said... You know, I just, I just want to. I just go to bed tonight, praying that Dad will come to me in a dream, or or Mom will come to me in a dream. And then there's been mornings when she's woken up and she's been so happy because they have. You know, they've come to her. Um, or there's been little signs where we see we see things in our grandchildren or in their grandchildren and our children that represent them. So that brings us to that second part of that question: is you know, um there's always a silver lining. There's always good things, like you said, that you can take away. It wasn't all bad. And you knew that maybe he didn't know how to express himself and he, he reacted bad. As parents, look, there's times when we lose our patience and we get angry with our kids and it's the worst feeling in the world. There's been times when I've spanked my daughter and I've turned around two seconds later and I said, you know, I apologize. Or there's been times when I've spanked her and I haven't apologized, but I said, look, uh, I'm, and I know how you feel about this, Rob. But I said I'm doing this on your fanny because I believe that God gave you a little extra cushion there, and and it wasn't, and, and it's not hard, believe me. But it's just something. It's it's a tough thing because it's one of those dividing lines that, geez, nobody wants to feel like a spanking is good, and no no parent ever wants to lose their temper with their children, but gosh, they can they can they can push the right buttons, can't they? And 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 we got to learn how to deal with, with how to do that. And there's no, like they said, there's no handbook when you become a parent that say here's exactly what to do in every situation. So a lot of the times we're flying by the seat of our pants.
2: You know, I tell you, um, kids, 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 right? I mean, <laughs> man, I, uh, I said to my wife, I don't think that I have completed six sentences in a row with you since you've given birth to uh, Sophia. I mean, oh in our,
0: do we our, know? Do we know?
2: Our ability to have a conversation—it just doesn't exist. We've now—I now, I, 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 now <laughs> what I'm doing is I'm just now I'm literally voice ma- messaging. Hey, look, I'm on my way in. I know we're not going to be able to talk. Here's what I want to tell you, and I'll actually download the whole thing because I know the moment I come in the door, <laughs> Ringling Brothers begins.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, this is this is a great segue because I want I want to you know this is there's so many layers to Rob guys and and this is a this is great because we didn't know where this was going to go and this is a layer of Rob that I think is very important but there's, there's also other layer he has a beautiful a beautiful perspective on life um, one of those people that's if you want to be around somebody extremely fun and gregarious and outgoing and, and can take any room and elevate it and lift it up he's your guy. Um, So much respect for him. So let's talk about kids. Let's talk about parenting um, and running a home-based business or any type of business. I don't want to just exclude this to people who run a home-based business. Yeah,
0: you're kind of a jack of all.
1: Yeah, let's talk about what it's like to (laughs) balance parenting, marriage, and your career. Because that's essentially three of the big things that Turned On is about. So- You mentioned a great point, and we've spoken about this. How do we do it?
2: Well, okay. So what we talked about earlier, as with everything in life, um, will directly factor into how I'm going to answer this. Because I grew up in an environment with absolute chaos, um, I'm always looking for control, and I'm always looking for organization because I had such lack of organization at that time in my life. So for me... The way that I can make this work is by being hyper-organized. I am not a fly-by-the-seat-of-my-pants kind of guy. I um, I wake up and um, I go through a ritual of 20 minutes of meditation, 20 minutes of journaling, and then 20 minutes of planning the day. Um, and then I visualize what I want the day to look like. And I include all of the big rocks um, of my life and my day that I want to put in there to make sure that, um, that everybody gets the attention that, uh, that they need. And um, those big rocks as it relates to children, um, for, I have a 21-year-old daughter who's in California, so that rock is more a phone call during the day to make sure that there's a connection there. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also have a four-year-old. Um, and that rock is at five o'clock when I come home, um, my phone is on airplane mode. Um, I get a, a bottle of wine um, so helps. I can, ha- so I can have a little, a little glass or a little glass of champagne. Um, two, one or two glasses is about as far as I can go without feeling it the next day. Um, and it is all, the evenings are all about her. So I don't have an expectation any longer to tell my wife about my day at that time. Um, and we will have every single night. I tell my wife, I feel like Milton Bradley every night. Um, I, it is either family game night Mm -hmm. or is it family movie night or, uh, we're playing charades. And when I tell you this, I mean, seven days a week. So I come in at five o'clock. And 5.30, she's feeding me. And I don't know if you've ever been fed by a four-year-old, but it's like Lucille Ball with the chocolate. Yeah. I, I can't <laughs> I can't actually get it down at the rate that she's putting it in. So I go through that, and I, I, I kind of, like, uh, you know, hope that I don't get asphyxiated. And when that's done, <laughs> then we sit down at the table, and um, we play charades. We play Candylands, We play Go Fish. Um and or we go on to family movie night and then um depending on whether or not kim has a team call or um i have something that um is pressing one of us will put um her down mm-hmm. um which used to be quick it's not oh, so quick anymore it's like, it. it's like it's like i feel like i'm pushing about an hour now and every i oh. I, I try. I try and mitigate against every move that I know she's going to go with, which is like I, you know, I got to pee, so I make sure that that happens yeah. first. I, I, I need water. Dad. So the water, I get the water next to the bed. I don't want that book. I need a stuffed animal. So I, like, I line up all the objections that I know that are going to oh, happen.
1: You're speaking to me, brother.
2: Do you know what I mean? So I'm like, all right, Goodbye. look. Look, we got, we got the stuffed animal. We, we got the book. We yep. got the water. You've peed. You brush your teeth, you said goodnight to mommy. Is there anything else? No, nope, but there's always something uh. that comes up. And then, um, and then there's all the tricks that I have to go through to actually get her settled down to go to bed. And then I, uh, I come out you know, with like my hairs.
1: You forgot set. about the tiptoeing part. like. I felt like sometimes I was trying to get out of the kid's room. Like you don't want to make a sound or what if you're, what if they fall asleep and your arms underneath them and then you're sitting there literally contemplating, okay, now what's my next move? How should I just pull my arm out really fast and hope they don't wake up? I got it down. I got that down.
2: No, I got it down. So I've actually had to move the mattress around because the way that I get out, it creates a creak. It's like Uh a creaking noise. So I had to move it to eliminate the creaking noise, but then the wood under the bed frame made the second noise, and then the third noise was when my foot hit the floor. That was the third noise. So I had to get rid of all of that. But the trick is we have this baby music that when she was a little baby, she couldn't say baby music, so she calls it baby Mookie. And so I put the baby Mookie on, but if I put it loud enough, which is like a lullaby, it's singing her to sleep. I could put the baby Mookie on loud enough that it'll drown out the creaks on the different thing and then do that, you know, that su- like, like dead man shuffle out of the bed yes. like, <laughs> where you move like a, like a quarter of an inch and then you stop and then another quarter and then you slide out and then you're home. Now, <laughs> then,
1: but you then scrunch, for 15 minutes afterward, you're hoping that, is she really sleeping? Because well, I'll tell
2: you where is- the next, here's where the next landmine is. The next, the next landmine is the doorknob. We all know the doorknob, oh. right? So once you hit the doorknob, that's pain. Right, so I had to get the WD forty to put it into the doorknob. So when I do that, and then I can close it. But I got most of it down now. I'm I'm actually good. This is going
0: to
2: be moving. (laughs) is going to be interesting? That was my next statement. This is going to be interesting because um, we are going to be now doing uh, four months around the world, starting on Monday. Not around the world. Around Europe, starting Monday. We're we're going to be in uh, uh, Monaco, Mykonos, Montenegro, Dubrovnik. um, uh, Croatia, Leche, Paris, Florence, Lake Como, um, with a four-year-old in all different places. So all bets are off. I don't know what's going to happen.
1: You, you know what's funny is I feel like milk has, it own, his, milk has its own tagline, right? Milk, it does the body good. Yeah. I feel like wine need one, wine, right? Like yeah. wine, and the tagline is wine because you have kids, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I think like if wine used that, they'd, be like, they'd sell a lot more. And, and the funny thing is, uh, Angelique took me to see Jerry Seinfeld, uh, stand up, uh, about a year and a half ago for my birthday. And, you know, Jerry had kids later in life and he's just brilliant. Like you, that whole story right there, that's Seinfeld material. So Jerry goes a similar story. He goes, you know, I have this whole process getting my kids to bed. There's different stuffed animals, different stories, different toothbrushes, different blankets. He goes, do you know what my bedtime routine was when I was a kid? it was darkness my dad turned off the light and I'm like yes that was me there was no routine like my kids even for dinner now here's your choice of three things that you can have for dinner I go and you know what my choices were when I was a kid it was whatever my mom made it was like liver and
2: beans
0: where did the where did the evolution of man happen with that I
2: think What's I think that I think because we had darkness and liver and beans, we said we're not going to okay. inflict this on our children. No and, more. <laughs> no, no more. And we've coddled them a little bit, which is why yeah. they get the the eighth place eighth place trophy.
0: Well, but, that's not happening here.
2: I know. That's not well, happening. we've we've yeah. we've really
1: learned to appreciate those times. Like yeah. I always tell Angelique, it's amazing. We had to. Speaking of Europe, Rob, you know we had to go to Europe to have our second child because. When you have one, I mean, I know your kids are farther apart, but we had one, and there was just, how do you have a second one? That one's always there. You think you're alone? Guess what? You're not. And you're, you almost got like, you know, you got this fear. Angelique's like, she can never really relax because is the kid? are the kids going to walk in, right? So we literally went to Europe and left Ella with the grandparents, and that's how Phoenix got here.
2: It's crazy she said to me this morning uh, the other uh, uh last week she said uh Dad, you know you can't a troll this kid, right I said, I can't what she said you there's you cannot a troll me I said, <laughs> oh. I said, okay, so we're at that stage, we're at the a trolling stage huh okay. they they know
1: and and they get smart, and then when they say things like that you're like you are you're not really four you're a little person in there you're messing with me right now that's not something that comes out of a four-year-old's mouth and we're just humbled by it
0: phoenix does the time so if i gave her you know if there was an ultimatum like listen you'll get that snack or that dessert as long as you eat this and then somehow she'll find her way to the snack or dessert before she ate that and i'll be like phoenix I told you that you had to have this first. She goes, "Sorry, mom, I got distracted." <laughs> You're Three, yeah, and you know what distracted is? Yeah, you stinker. You know, like they're the, they're funny. The stuff they're, that comes
1: out of their mouths. Them, I'm out telling you, yeah. it's fun. So uh, here, here's a great segue. You mentioned um, in this past segment, and we're gonna get to this, this my favorite one here. You mentioned that everybody in your house after five, uh, everybody, I wrote it down, everybody gets attention that they need, meaning Kim gets the attention that she needs. Sophia gets the attention that she needs. You call your, your daughter who's in college. Jeez, mm-hmm. um, that sounds very familiar with what you're awesome at, Rob, and that is giving people really what they need and making them feel super special and giving them that extra attention. And- and that's where we're at with, with your latest endeavor. Um, tell us about what you're doing right now that you're super passionate
2: about. Well, look, it's a, um, it's a mission that I uh, feel like I'm on here because I, I recognized recently that when you're around people that love what they do, so here's what, um, here's what, I, uh, what I realized. I realized that... Um, People are incredibly passionate about what it is that they do, right? They're super passionate. They love what they do. They're excited about what they do. But all they do is that. And we are so much more than just the work that we do. There is so much more in the world. There's so much more that we can be doing. And so I just became super passionate about sharing that with the world.
1: And and so I have to tell this story. I'm going to tell it briefly. But so what Rob does now in his mastermind is he takes people on these amazing experiences because, look, let's face it. When we go someplace and we travel, we're kind of like throwing arrows in the dark. We don't know what we're doing. It's very hard. You know, we don't have like... Uh, what, what are some of the subscriptions that you get here to, for the restaurant? I forget, Angelique looks them up all the time. When you get the details of the restaurant and the ratings and stuff and where to go, like a Yelp, Yelp, right? So I don't know if there's like an international Yelp, but Rob is that guy that is going to give you an amazing experience because he spent so much time in Europe. He's, you're, you could have had one of the best travel channels ever. I used to watch your videos on YouTube when you and Kim would go over to Europe and you do these amazing videos. And I'm like, I never want to be on camera again. And I thought I was pretty good. I'm like, after watching Rob, you were meant to do this, but you did us a very special favor when we decided to renew our vows in Greece. When you decided. When I decided to surprise (laughs) Angelique. Rob, you stepped in as a friend and you did some things for our trip that we will remember for the rest of our lives. And I'm not just talking about the big things. I'm talking about down to the nitty gritty details. Yeah. I renewed my vows with Angelique in Mykonos and Rob set it all up ahead of time. Uh, we managed to keep it a secret brother. So I appreciate that. Cause that's very hard to keep a secret from your wife when you spend a lot of time with her. Um, and it was just a 10 out of 10, it was a 12 out of 10 mm-hmm. in terms of the memories and in terms of what you did for us.
2: Well, thank you for that. I mean, it, I got just as much joy from it, to be honest with you, that, that day will go down in history, truly, I, like I'm not just saying this, that, that will go down in tr- truly in history for me as one of the most special days of my life because there was so much significance behind it too. I mean, for, you know, she's already cried once today, so I don't wanna, I don't wanna make her cry again um but you know with your with your dad and his connection to greece and you never having been to greece before and david's just undying love for you and this island that is so magical to me um just putting all of that together and and my desire to really create magic moments for people it was a no-brainer for me i was i was excited to do it i mean i just i spent you know days making sure that like you know, I, like if I could have called somebody to find out exactly where the sun was going to be, I was going to do that too. Like I wanted it to be perfect. And that's just, that's just something that I really, really enjoy um, doing for people. And I, I recognize, like I, you know, I started to say earlier that when you, w- when you're an entrepreneur today, most of the people that are in my sphere are entrepreneurs that absolutely love what it is that they're doing. They've made a decision whether they went into network marketing or they went into creating their own courses or they're an author or they're a television host, whatever, you've made a decision to leave something that they don't like and go into something that they do like, and they're super passionate about it. But the problem with that that I see is when you have something that you're very passionate about that you don't view as work, then you create this container of you sort of saying like, I'm just going to keep working because I'm getting filled up. It's giving me everything that I love Mm -hmm. and it's so exciting. And you just do more of it because you don't see it as work. And so you just keep doing it. And the problem is that there's all this stuff that's going on in life that you're missing out on because all you're doing is banging your head against the laptop, the computer, the podcast, the book, whatever. And there's just a lot of things that are happening. And if I didn't force people to get out from in front of the things that they do and love so much, they wouldn't do it, and so I decided last year that I was going to create an environment. And I don't love the word mastermind, but I don't know what else to call it. So I'm kind of calling it the unmastermind now, it's mm-hmm. because it's like the other white meat, you know. I don't yep. know what exactly. yep. to call it. <laughs> Un- the uncola. It's one of those things. I'm
0: not crazy with the word either. I get it.
2: I don't love it, okay. um, but but basically, what it is is you know I'm taking a group of people. Um, there's 20 of us now. We're we're flying out on Monday. Um, and you know, uh, I can give you a little idea if you want of what yep. that looks like. So, um, on uh, on Wednesday, I'm looking at my list here. On Wednesday, I have uh, helicopters that are going to meet them in uh, in Nice and helicopter them into Monaco. Um, that night, we're going to be doing a dinner at a place called Le Grill, which is um, at the Hotel de Paris, which is across. If you ever saw like uh, James Bond's Casino Royale, um, it's across from the uh, casino. And uh, we have got some speakers there that are going to be talking about what it's like living in Monaco. The next morning we're going to wake up and do a vintage car ride through the French Riviera, uh, where we've got cars from the sixties and seventies, oh. uh, Rolls Royces, Ferraris, oh, AC. That sounds awesome. um, oh. And then we're going <clears> to, <throat> we're going to do a, a goal setting masterminding session in a castle, um, overlooking, uh, the Mediterranean. I have a speaker that's flying in. He runs the largest nonprofit in the world. Um, there's a lot of, uh, A lot of companies, uh, a lot of hospitals that will throw away ultrasound machines. Uh, They're not that old, but they'll get rid of them. Things like that. So um, he'll take medical uh, equipment that is still really good, but the the states get rid of it, and he's uh, distributing it in Serbia. And he's going to come talk about legacy, Um, in what it's like to really leave a legacy. So the theme that I'm doing is you know these. The person who created the Rolls-Royce from the 1960s had a vision for that car to be here 100 years from now. And the person who built the castle that we're having the mastermind in um, had a vision for it to be here several hundred years from now. And so he's going to talk about what's your legacy. Um, and then we're going to walk through the village of Ez, Uh And then the next day, we're going to take um, speedboats uh, to Saint-Tropez, um, walk around um, the town of Saint-Tropez, do a little partying in Saint-Tropez, and then we'll do a, we'll a, a wrap-up. Um, in, uh, in Monaco. Um, but the idea is, and at the end of the year, we're going to do, uh, we're going to Italy and we're going to do uh, some truffle huntings, a truffle hunting with a pig well, or you, a dog. No, Rob,
1: you, said you, you said you were a detailed person. I don't see it.
2: You don't see it, right? Um, <laughs> I, can, I can tell you exactly what time this is all happening.
0: I love the it. I, I the
2: love- idea is to do things with people that they wouldn't normally do. And here's why. At the end of this, what's going to happen is they're going to come home And they are going to have access to a higher level of thinking. And um, with the collaboration that they're going to have from the people that they're with, that's going to help grow their business because they're looking at things in a different way. You can't, your best ideas come in the shower because you're not standing at a computer or you're not forcing something in front of an iPhone. You're getting away from something and then your ideas come. Mm -hmm. So I'm forcing you to get away and putting you in environments that are gonna stimulate new ideas with people that are gonna inspire you. So that's, that's the reason for investment.
1: So I'm gonna ask Angie to comment on what she thinks about it, but there's one thing that I wanna say first that's just blatantly obvious. You started that whole explanation off by saying, you know what, it's, I get joy in doing this for other people and seeing that. Now, that is probably lip service From a lot of people Mm -hmm. but not from you because I've seen it and that's why I would recommend you to anybody that's why I love you because you do like how many people could take a group of people over to Europe and all these amazing things and not be like well I'm worried about what I'm doing what I'm seeing where I'm going whether whether it's your mastermind or whether it was our wedding I looked at you and I'm like Ange. He really does have a heart of service, like he this really makes him happy, seeing other people happy that 's special
2: Oh, th- thank you for that. love you back and it is definitely something that i I love to do and i think i've had I think I had a uh, a little epiphany about why that is um, and it came from um, it came from our mastermind i 'll get into the story another time with you but but basically, I realized that. The joy that i had from my dad was the only time that he wasn't drinking and abusive and um really just horrible towards me was when we were on vacation
0: mm.
2: and when we took vacations i connected with him he was a different person he didn't have to get up at four o'clock in the morning and drive a truck. He didn't have the stress of the children around him where he was trying to let work and deal with the kids at the same time. He was a scuba diver. So he loved. um, we always went to the Caribbean. So he loved diving. And so he was a different person. And I believe that I linked up in my mind that, um, like all I wanted, like I would dread, 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 dread the end of a vacation because I knew when I, the vacation was over that he was going to be back. Mm-hmm. And I would love the planning to go on the next vacation because I knew he was going to be different. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So I think that I've linked up some of this in my mind, um, which is probably explains why I'm going to be gone for the next four yeah. months.
1: <laughs> well, that's full circle. I mean, we, we, we started off talking about your dad totally. and then how it came full circle without us even knowing that's pretty cool.
0: And so, you know, kind of tying it back into turned on is that dark moment has now... Left a legacy of immense, immense light for yourself and for all the people that get to experience, uh, work hard, play hard, and I, I love my favorite. And everyone, they're probably tired of what listeners. Are you tired of hearing me talk about the divine order? Um, divine order to me is is like the divine order of all creation and how God went from a formless void place to the beautiful earth and life that we now experience and. Um, it's interesting when you look at the divine order in, in terms of our life and our meaning mankind and what you're doing honors that so beautifully, you know, people need to work from a place of rest, you know, and culturally we're trying to rest from a place of work. Um, and you are actually even without, like you said that it's time for them to go from their work to play but really they're going from play to work because their best ideas and enlightenment and, and being awakened and having the light turned on is coming out of that place of play, coming out of that place of rest, coming out of that place of you know, restoration. And it's just such a beautiful honor um, of that divine order. And because honestly, we really truly live in, Unfortunately, in a culture that has inverted it, like it's on its head all the Mm -hmm. time. And we wonder why. And you mentioned it earlier you know, if you didn't heal this one thing, that it was going to affect your health, affect your marriage, affect your family, affect your career. And so, by that one piece being healed, and now you have created light in all of this area, what it's doing in your own life and other people's life will affect their health, affect their marriage their relationships Mm -hmm. their career and so by flipping the switch in one area it has cascaded into all the others and i don't know if you even realize that but it's it's blatantly obvious to me and so beautiful Mm -hmm. to watch
2: well thank you thank you for that i feel i feel the same way and i love the name of your podcast because turned on is 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 such a um such a beautiful way of um of talking about this area you know I know you guys are um, very—I um, don't know what the word is—Christiany. Is that a- <laughs>
1: That's a good word. A good
2: word. <laughs> is that okay? It is. It is. Okay. I'm um, sure. Okay, Christiany. We're very christian Because I because I first went with spiritual, and I went no, they're not going to like that. And then I went with religious, and I was like no, they're not going to like that either. And then I went with Christiany because I knew that I was going to be pretty safe there. So yeah,
0: yeah. Um, we have a relation. We have a very intimate relationship with our heavenly father. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's it. Right. So um, what I I have recognized is that our Heavenly Father has given us many, many things in this world to enjoy. He didn't give us an iPhone to spend our lives in front of or a MacBook Pro to spend our lives in front of. He gave us the whole world to enjoy. Mm. And if we are not rich in body, mind, and soul, I mean, really in body, mind, and soul, then we are one dimensional and we're gonna pay for it. You know, the Italians have La Dolce Vita, the French have the Joie de Vivre, right? And they're all, um, you know, the sweetness of life, versions of love your life, live your life. In America, we have happy hour. (laughs) Like that's what we have, because we don't need time. We got one hour, make it happy, but they have a culture of that, Mm. and I'm just trying to get people to tap into, you know, the Italians, they will say, uh, they have a word, it's uh, domani, domani is tomorrow, and so, you know, they're not obsessed with getting it done right now, tomorrow's fine, Mm -hmm. but right now, today, we have wine and pasta, and this beautiful espresso, and we're going to have a great conversation, and we're going to talk about life. And mm-hmm. that is okay with them. They call it um, la dolce faniente, which is the sweetness of doing nothing. And they're okay with doing nothing. Mm-hmm. And I just want to tap into just a little bit of that.
1: You better scope out, you better scope out some real estate for us over there, because I think I'm going to move there.
2: You know? Have you ever had... <laughs> I am trying to say right, arancini arancini the arancini I'm on, I'm not even carbs these days cuz I'm trying oh. to lean down with all these with all these fitness people that are going to be on the beaches with me in uh oh, south of man, France next so week good. but arancini is amazing
1: they put like meat inside this fried ball and yeah it's uh, incredible it's incredible Robbie, yeah, it's you
0: made a incredible. really great point when you said that god didn't give us an iphone or a macbook pro and um you know I was reading a devotional yesterday and um it talks specifically about that like I think there's a, I don't know what the book it was referencing but it was like you know 100 different places to see before you die yeah um, and you might know the book and, and you actually I do very similar to kind of what you're doing but what I love about what you're doing what I love about what you're doing is you're not just creating the experience of those 100 places to see before you die but you're making people see the things that are there all the time and what I mean by that is we live in Nashville, Tennessee, and I can go out tonight and look at the grandiose landscape of a sunset or the art among the stars. Um, the songs that are sung by birds that can never be duplicated or on repeat or rewound or fast forwarded. Uh, the blades of grass that are between our toes and the rain on on your your skin, like those are the experiences among the bigger, more planned, detailed ones that you can create with what we have access to. Um, But you're also so in tune with being able to utilize um, the natural, the natural bucket list things that literally exist Mm -hmm. every day that we miss, that we
2: miss. You know? That's so beautifully said. I had um, I had somebody in the, uh, I did a an earlier mastermind in uh, Boston. And uh, one of the experiences that we had there was I brought someone in um, to sing opera from the Metropolitan Opera House. And the moment that she started to sing, the room just broke out in tears. They just started crying. And, you know, there is magic in song. There is magic in everything that she mentioned. So, yeah, thank you for saying that.
1: Yeah, you know, when, when Angelique and I got married, I had one request. Because, you know, the details are her side. And I said, look, we can do wherever you want, whatever you want, colors, whatever. I go, I have one request. I go, I want you to walk down the aisle to Ave Maria. And I had a friend who was in opera, and he got this amazing, amazing woman. And I'm sitting there at the front of the church, and I'm with my groomsmen. And the back door opens, and the light comes through, and Ave Maria starts playing. And I mean, like, you know, as a guy, it's okay to shed a tear. It's okay to have like that one tear come down, but you don't want to be like, (gasps) you know, you don't want to be a slobbering mess. You want to maintain your composure. And I had to do everything I could just to, just to keep that one tear rolling down and not lose it. But music is amazing.
2: Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, it's, it's, it was one of those things where um, this girl in the, uh, this woman in the Boston Mastermind, she so she sang opera at the um, Metropolitan Opera House. And um, I just felt like, I don't know why, I just felt like it would be interesting to have her sing. And so um, we're in this Italian restaurant in the Boston, in Boston's North End. And this like 95 pounds £95 woman just closes her eyes, no microphone, no music. Oh. And she slowly starts to sing. I'm telling you, ask anybody who was there, within 10 seconds, tears were rolling down our eyes that we could not control at all. Mm. I mean, it was vibrationally something I never felt before. It was emotionally something I never felt before. I'm looking at our mutual friend, Lori and Chris, and they're just bawling. And I was like, "Like what happened? Mm. And there are so many experiences you know, to use your point a second ago, Inge, there are so many experiences that we just walk by that we don't even know are happening. And it, you know, look, I'm not saying that we need to spend the rest of our life, you know, sitting in a field and looking at the grass, because then (laughs) they'll come take your furniture, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, But at some point, we have to have more of uh, a balance that allows us to balance out the work and play side, which is why I started the podcast Work Hard Play Hard, because I think you need to do both.
1: Amen to that, brother. Amen to that. I mean, obviously we could we could do three hours with you. And I would never get tired of of, of what you have to say because some of it's profound, some of it's funny, some of it's uh enlightening. I mean there's there's so many layers to you like I said earlier there and I appreciate goat. that. So there what I'll, what I'll say is you know later on tonight Rob when when you and I are drinking a glass of red wine in our in our daughter's separate bedrooms right um and we're we're maybe chewing on their lunchables and making a little lunchable sandwich for ourselves one one or two never hurts, and we're watching you know finding Nemo for the thirty seventh time and we're we're just realizing that this is good, life is good um we know it's not always perfect, and there will be some hard things but Soak up those moments, ladies and gentlemen. When you have the opportunity to do something and experience life like Rob says, grab it. You know, you're, you're, you're never going to be on your deathbed going, man, I wish I had watched one more episode of you know, whatever TV show. You're going to say, I really wanted to see the Eiffel Tower. Or you know, I, I really wanted to see the statue of David. Or I really wanted to drive an old 1960s vintage automobile. Monaco I mean I want to do that
2: I mean it's beautiful you know I'll tell you this it's funny that you chose the Eiffel Tower because we were we're booking today Sophia's fifth birthday party inside of the Eiffel Tower oh wow so that's funny that you chose that I
1: tell you what I mean there's nothing like it that's because I guarantee you can walk down your uh your in your neighborhood and go into a dozen houses and somebody in those dozen if not all does it, will have something in their house with a picture of the Eiffel Tower. Either it's a picture, or it's a pillow, or it's a hot plate, whatever it is. And then you ask them, have you seen it in person? And what's most of their answers going to be? Nope. Ah, oh, no, but I'd love
0: to. I have a question. Yeah. And I know literally Rob is in the middle of a move. Literally. Yeah. He made the movers just take a break so we could record, which I thank you for. You're um, welcome. I was raised by a single mom and we lived on food stamps and I ate cereal for dinner because that's all we could afford. And I remember the times of pride where she stood in the church parking lot when the priest handed her a check for $375 to cover the rent. And then I hear these beautiful stories of, of where you're going and where you're taking the mastermind group and Sophia gets to celebrate her fifth birthday in the Eiffel Tower and we take Ella to Disney World every year. And I'm thinking, even if on her, you know, even if she worked as hard as she possibly could, I would have never, ever been able to experience those things in my youth. Uh, and so that's why I would do what I do now to instill in my children. But what would you say to the listeners? Because empathetically, I'm sitting there going, there's a listener right now that's going must be nice, mm-hmm. it must be nice. What would you say to them?
2: Well, um, first of all, lose the story of it must be nice because that's a little bit of a victim mentality there.
1: Yes.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, second of all, um, have some belief and self-worth that you can do it and declare that you're going to do it. And does it happen in a month or six months or a year or two years? The, the trip that we're about to take has been 10 plus years in the making.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: We're not just... Um, saying, hey, look, let's, uh, let's go travel around the world for the next four months and move to Southern California, which is where we're moving after we do our Europe trip. Mm-hmm. We planned it. We sat there with, um, we had a, if you could see it, in our kitchen there, that, that vision board that's up on that wall. Mm-hmm. And on that vision board was everything that we wanted to do. We wanted me to leave a profession that no longer served me chiropractor. We wanted to travel for four months around the world. We wanted to move to Southern California. We wanted to have Sophia's birthday in the Eiffel Tower. And we just put all the pictures up. And then we reverse engineered it and said, okay, well, how do we do it? Well, we need this much money. By when? And we created the goals. So you know, on the one hand, I want to, because I, you can imagine how many it must be nices I get inboxed on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And on the one hand, I want to be sensitive to the fact that people are under certain conditions and pressures mm-hmm. in their own life, but those circumstances don't have to be forever. Uh, many, Very often, they're temporary, and they're don't ha- they do not have to be as long as people sit in them. It's yeah. making the decision to say, I'm not sitting in this anymore. Mm-hmm. I get one shot at this life, mm-hmm. one shot. And yes, right now, today, maybe next year, I'm not going to be spending a month in Mykonos. Okay, I got it. But I might be able to do it in two years, or maybe it's one week that I can do in two years. And then in three years, people way overestimate what they can do in you know six months to a year and way underestimate what they can do in five. In five years, your life can be radically different, mm-hmm. radically different. Mine sure was. So- Get real clear on what you want, and that's the first step. Most people, when I ask them what do what do they want, they don't know. They tell me what they don't want. I don't want to have a relationship like this anymore. I don't want to be in a marriage like this. I don't want to be overweight like this. I don't want to uh, wake up exhausted like this. I don't want to be this kind of you know. uh, I don't want to have a body that looks like this.
0: Broke. Okay,
2: but but what do you want? I don't know if that helps.
0: It's beautiful, and whoever is listening. I hope that you waited to the end to hear that because it wraps it up so beautifully. And like I said, I was there. I was there for a very good portion of my life. And I can feel what you're feeling. And there were times when I looked at my mother and her brokenness and I said, Never again. It stops here. It finishes here. It is finished here. And I refuse to let. All of the love, all of the sacrifice, all of the hard times, all of the tears that she shed, that she experienced to pour into me for me to let her legacy die along with her withered body. I refuse. And what you just shared right there is for every single person that is living in their five minutes or their five years or their five months of victimhood and say, it stops here. It is finished here. And start making a decision of where that light switch needs to be flipped on. Because all it takes is a moment of one dark hallway for you to turn on the light and then it starts to cascade into the other areas. And I just love what you summed up so beautifully. And that's the, that's the exact reason I asked that question, because I knew that you were going to deliver on the answer. So, I mean, I applaud you and I hope that everybody got that.
2: Wow. We could drop the mic right there that what a beautiful way to come full circle with this podcast. That was, that was like poetry.
0: It really is.
1: <laughs> it really is. And, and there's so many great takeaways. This has been such an enlightening time with you, Rob. Um, it's always a pleasure. We went through a gamut of emotions. Um, you know, we started off and where we, where we finished and we came full circle. So I'll just say this, uh, where can people find you? Um, where, uh, where are you going to be? And, um, we'll just wrap it up with that.
2: Where am I going to be? You mean in terms of location?
1: Yeah. Like I know you're going to Southern California, but where can they find you? Are you, are you going to be, um, you're doing more masterminds or there's a waiting list now, correct?
2: Yeah, the mastermind is full. Um, I haven't uh, announced where we're going, what we're doing, or how many people are in the 2020 mastermind yet, but uh, our mastermind is currently full. Um, And uh, if you want to learn more about it or you want to fill out an application to uh, be considered for the 2020 mastermind, go to workhardplayhardmasterminds.com.
1: Awesome. workhardplayhardmastermind.com. Thank you so
2: much. Thank you. I am like, you guys, you guys, you guys are wonderful. I, I know you know that I feel that way, but I love the two of you so much. Um, I am such a big fan of uh, the work that you guys do and what you're putting out there. And you know, clearly, I mean, you're, you're climbing the charts like uh, Taylor Swift right now in the iPod world. So um, you're, you're definitely resonating with a lot of people. So um, I am honored to be uh, one of your friends.
1: I am honored that you let us spend this last hour with you and your amazing hair. It's always a pleasure to be with the both of you.
0: And uh, we
1: will see you next time, brother. Take and care, hope
0: this turned you on. Thank you so much for listening and staying with us. We love you and we look forward to speaking with you next time.